What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having an outstanding day. On today's pod, we're highlighting two players from the NBA Summer League, and we've got part four, the final part of the 1%. I can't wait to get into it. Here we go. I'm really excited to get to the final part of the 1%, and then I'm hoping to have somebody on to kind of not challenge me on it, but just to discuss the list as a whole with me. But first, I got to get to go. To, I got to get to what's going on right now in the world of basketball. Because if you've been listening to Shooting the Schmitz for any length of time, then you know that we love hoops. NBA Summer League, full effect. It's going on right now. Victor Wembanyama comes out, and let's be honest, he's the main attraction. He's why everybody is tuning in to watch these games. And comes out game one, lays an absolute dud. Two of 13 from the field, only scores nine points, pulls down eight rebounds. Had five blocks, though, which is cool. That's uh, that's cool. He's a very good defender. If you listen to the last episode of Shooting the Schmitz, I wouldn't say we hit the nail on the head, but we were pretty right. He came out pretty slow on the offensive end, but was... Very much there defensively. You felt his presence on the defensive end of the floor, just like and I, I said that I said that he would. Okay, because when you're that big, you're that tall, and you're that long, you're I mean, you're just bound to block some shots. That's just the way that it goes. And when you're that athletic as well, that also helps. So he comes out in game one. He just wasn't very good. You know, there are some flashes. We saw the ball handling ability. We saw excellent vision. I thought he passed the ball extremely well. You can tell he has a really good feel for the game, but he just didn't shoot the ball very well. Okay, missed a lot of pull-up jumpers, missed a lot of threes. I think he only made one of his threes. Didn't really get into the paint very often when he did. The ball was stripped. It just it wasn't very pretty in game one. And then you run to Twitter, the land of overreactions, and you see all these people calling him a bust. Oh, he's Greg Oden. Number one overall pick, big guy. Not going to be very good. You saw all of that. All over Twitter. All over threads. All over TikTok. It was everywhere. Oh, he's a bust. He's not going to be very good. Then he comes out in game two. Playing the Trailblazers. I really wish Scoot Henderson had played in this game. Playing the Trailblazers. And he comes out and he looks really unsure of himself. Very similar to game one. And then he kind of gets to a point where he's like, you know what? Enough of this crap. And he starts to score the basketball. And you can hear and feel the energy from the crowd. Okay, he's blocking shots. He's got like this really short burst in the first quarter where he scores like six or seven points. And, you know, he hits a couple jump shots. He does the little um, between the legs into a pull-up jumper where he just elevates and shoots over a guy. And it was just nothing but nylon. And it was, oh, it was awesome. I just, ooh, those first, you know, three or four minutes where he really asserted himself and started to score the basketball were impressive. You know, he's got those long arms. You know, he shoots the ball, misses it, grabs the offensive rebound, jumps from, like, the left block and and just dunks the ball very casually. And the guy guarding him just looks up like, what am I supposed to do? Game two is what we were expecting, and man, it was incredible. 27 points, 12 rebounds, 3 blocks. 
He's really good. He's going to be really good. Nothing has happened for us to say he's going to be a bust. Okay, he's not going to be a bust. I can tell you that right now. He is 100% as advertised. Tall, long, skilled, and not afraid to go at people. Because he wasn't afraid to go at people. And I think we saw that in the second game against the Trailblazers when he was much more sure of himself when he gets to the actual NBA and the floor is spaced better and you actually get to practice with your teammates, he'll be even better then. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him, you know, over this season. You know, I'm really excited for like game 40, game 50. Then we'll really kind of have a feel on how ready he was for the NBA. But either way, you can't deny that this man projects to be awesome. Now, the other player I want to highlight, it's not Brandon Miller. It's not Scoot Henderson. It's neither one of the Thompson twins. But in fact, it is the sixth overall pick, Anthony Black of the Orlando Magic, who looks awesome. He looks so good. He looks like everything you want your point guard to be in the NBA. So I I often associate really good point guards with really good drummers of bands. Okay? And when we look at basketball teams, you can very much compare them directly. Okay, every band has an awesome lead singer. They are the star of the show. For the Orlando Magic, it's Paolo Bancaro, the defending rookie of the year. And then after that, the person that fans like to pay attention to is the guitarist, because who doesn't love a good guitar solo? Everyone loves a good guitar solo. And that, for the Orlando Magic, will be Franz Wagner. Right? A guy who is a very steady presence, but from time to time, when his number's called on, when they need a guitar solo, Wagner can step out and do that. Okay, we saw it against the Raptors this last year when he scored 34 points on 80% shooting. Okay, that's who Wagner is. But outside of that, he averages solid like 18 points a game. That's a really good guitarist. And then you've got drummers. And the thing that separates drummers from lead singers and guitarists is what they do. So when we look at lead singers, they can only sing one note at a time. When we look at guitarists, they can only play one chord, one scale. Meanwhile, drummers, they've got the right hand tapping the hi-hat. Meanwhile, they got their left hand banging the snare. And they got their right foot on the kick drum. And then their left foot is playing a hi-hat rhythm. Okay, they're doing multiple things at once. They have multiple responsibilities outside of just the note that they're on. And Anthony Black is more than capable of managing all of that. Okay, first and foremost, let's start with his size. He is 6'7". It's a big point guard. Okay, the Orlando Magic are going to be huge this next season. I mean, they are just, they're tall and they're long. And Anthony Black fits that perfectly. When we look at the offensive side of the ball, ultimately drummers, they are the backbones of the offense. They are the connectors. They are what allow for everything to happen. They set the pace and they set the tempo. When it comes to Anthony Black, he sets the pace. He knows when to push the ball in transition. He knows when to slow it down. When he's running screen and roll, he's the ultimate connector in those moments, allowing for the lead singer to really shine and allowing for the lead guitarist to be awesome. Okay, when he comes off the screen and rolls, you know, he's a great at passing to the roll man. Because of his size, he's able to throw the skip pass to the weak side of the court. 
And he can also finish around the rim. It's one thing that's really kind of popped in the summer league. He's finished around the rim extremely well. And then from time to time, bands open the opportunity for their league for their drummers, excuse me, to have a drum solo. And Anthony Black is more than capable of pulling out an awesome drum solo. Okay, we saw it in the fourth quarter against the Pistons, game one of Summer League. 13 points, didn't miss a shot. Continued to move the basketball well, continued to find open teammates. And then on the defensive end, he's a connector on that side of the floor as well. Always talking, has really good foot speed, so he's able to stay in front of smaller, quicker guards. But because he's 6'7", and he's got not super long arms, but he's definitely got some length to him, he's able to defend wings as well. I'm telling you, Anthony Black is going to be an absolute dude in the NBA. And I cannot wait to see his career develop as well. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmitz. Part 4 of The 1%. The 1%, Part 4, the final 10 players. The top 10 of the top 1% of players in the history of the NBA. Number 10. Kobe Bryant averaged a career 25 points per game, five rebounds, just under five assists, one and a half steals, and half a block per game. He's a two-time scoring champ, 18-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA selection, five-time NBA champ, two-time Finals MVP. The 2008 League MVP was an All-Rookie selection and was 12-time All-Defensive. I can hear now. Kobe Bryant's a top-five player of all time. Kobe Bryant's a top three player of all time. I can hear it. I can hear the people saying it. And let me just tell you right now, stop. He's not a top five, top three player of all time. Okay, Of the five championships that he won, he was the best player on two of them. In the 2000 NBA Finals, he averaged 15 points a game. They won that, they won that series because of Shaq. 2001 and 2002, he was much better. I will admit that. But don't get it twisted. Shaq was the best player in the NBA. Shaq was the number one option on those teams. And then in 2004, Kobe Bryant cost the Lakers a title by refusing to hand the reins over to Shaq. Okay, despite the struggles alongside the big diesel, all the arguments, I do have him in front of Shaq. If you you know, didn't listen to the last episode, I have Shaq at 11. The reason why he's in front of Shaq is because he won more championships apart from Shaq than Shaq did. Okay, when Shaq left, we saw Kobe fully unlocked as the number one option. Okay, he was great. That's why he's number 10, because he is an all-time great. But I'd be wrong to have him any higher, considering what he was on those first three title teams, especially the first one. Number nine, I have Wilt Chamberlain. Averaged 30 points per game for his career, 22.9 rebounds. That's absurd. And then four and a half assists. He's a seven-time scoring champ, 11-time rebounding champ, the assist champ in the 1967-68 to season, 13-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA selection, two-time NBA champ, was the Finals MVP in 1972, four-time league MVP in the Rookie of the Year, and was a two-time All-Defensive selection. Do I fully have to explain why Wilt Chamberlain is number nine? The number of absurd records that he holds should speak for themselves. Okay, the answer to why he's not higher is because there were only eight teams in the NBA when he played, and he only won two titles. Okay, the reason he is so high is because when he retired, he was number one in both career points and rebounds. 
He's an all-time dominant NBA player. He towered over the other NBA players and could simply do it all. Okay, You heard the rebounding titles. You heard the scoring titles and the assist title. Okay, The man was just truly incredible. Okay, And he carries this mythological feeling of Babe Ruth where he's so astounding that we borderline don't believe that he's real. Okay, like like he know that like we know that he exists. But the performances when you hear about him just don't sound real. Much like Babe Ruth's moments when he called a shot, we have questions. Did he really call a shot? Was this on purpose? Was he just going along with the story? Like we know that's kind of how he was. You know, there's like this feeling of yes, this happened, but I have some questions. Will Chamberlain has the exact same feeling. Did he really score 100 points in a game? We'll never know, but it adds to the myth that both was and was not Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain coming in at number nine. Number eight, Bill Russell. Okay, averaged a career 15 points a game, 22.5 rebounds, and four assists. Four-time rebounding champ, 12-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA selection, 11-time NBA champ, five-time league MVP, and the 19 and a one-time All-Defensive selection in the 1968 to 1969 season. Bill Russell, the man with two handful of, excuse me, Bill Russell, the man with two handfuls of rings, plus one. It's eleven titles. When you have eleven titles, doesn't matter what era you played in, you're going to be a top ten player. And it lands Bill Russell at number eight, the man who, despite winning eleven titles and being an important part of all eleven titles, never won a Finals MVP. That's because it wasn't an award until 1969 when he won his eleventh title. Okay, I doubt, I'll be honest, I don't think he would have won a ton of finals MVPs. He may not have won one. Okay, because basketball is simply a sport where we praise offense, not defense. Okay, and he had multiple teammates who simply scored more than he did. Sam Jones, John Havlock, Bailey Howell, and there's there's more. John Havlovich, who's up on this list, I think at number 29 is where I ended up putting him at. But simply, Bill Russell is best known for his defense. Okay, all defensive teams weren't a thing until Russell's final year in the NBA as well. If it weren't for that, I mean, his resume would be absolutely littered with him. But the lack of scoring throughout his career limits how high I can put him despite the 11 NBA championships. Moving on, Bill Russell at number 8. Number 7, we have another all-time great Celtic. A man who I would say is the greatest Celtic of all time. That is Larry Bird. Career averages at 24 points a game, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, just under 2 steals, and just under 1 block a game. He was a 12-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA selection, 3-time NBA champ, 2-time Finals MVP, 3-time regular season MVP, the Rookie of the Year in 1980, and a 3-time All-Defensive selection, Larry Bird. is one of the most complete players in the history of the NBA. The, the battles between Bird and Magic Johnson will simply never be forgotten. He was an excellent shooter, rebounder, passer, and defender. He was tough and cutthroat. A mean trash talker. Like the game where he, you know, walks out to play against the Hawks. He's like, oh, I'm going to save my right hand for whoever they played next. And proceeded to score 40 points with nothing but his left hand. You know, he and Dominique Wilkins had a rivalry in the 80s. And Dominique Wilkins tells the story of... Larry Bird scoring a bucket in the first quarter and looking at him and saying 38. Then going to the free throw line later, making one, looking at him and saying 37. Making the next one, saying 36. And then Dominique Wilkins was like, oh, I better not let him get to zero because that means he's got 40. (laughs) 
That's just who he was. A really tough competitor who was going to let you know how great he was. He played through a bad back for a lot of his career. Despite that, he was still extremely successful, winning three NBA titles and three MVPs. Larry Legend will never be forgotten. He'll always be remembered as the greatest Celtics player ever and one of the two players that saved basketball in the 80s. Number six, Tim Duncan. Timmy D. Averaged a career 19 points a game, 11 rebounds, three assists, just under one steal, and two blocks a game. He's a 15-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA selection, five-time NBA champ, three-time Finals MVP, two-time regular season MVP, won the Rookie of the Year in 98, and was a 15-time All-Defensive selection. Tim Duncan was a quiet player who's often passed over when we talk about the quote-unquote Kobe Bryant era of the NBA, even though Duncan won just as many championships and was great on both ends. Let's be honest. This should really be remembered as the Tim Duncan era. He protected the rim, and the big fundamental scored with touch on the offensive end of the floor. I remember growing up playing basketball in elementary school, and no one called glass, okay? Like, if you were trying to bank a shot in, you know how you, you got to call it or else it doesn't count. Same thing here. We didn't call glass when we banked the shot in. We called Duncan because that's what he did. I remember sitting watching him play when his back wasn't to the basket. He would, you know, stand, you know, 15 feet away out, out on the wing and just bank shots in. He was awesome. Okay, despite his quiet demeanor, the 15-time All-NBA and 15-time All-Defensive selections scream his greatness. If he was louder, if he was a trash talker, if he was cocky, if he had a big social media following, everybody would recognize Tim Duncan as the sixth best player in the history of basketball. Some may even have him higher. Tim Duncan dominated two eras, you know, the late 90s all the way up through the early 2010s. You know, he owned LeBron in the playoffs, beat him multiple times in the NBA Finals, lost to him as well. But Tim Duncan, just what what a career. What a career. Tim Duncan at number six. Number five, Magic Johnson. Average a career 19.5 points a game, seven rebounds and 11 assists to go along on the defensive side of the ball, just under two steals a game and just under half a block a game. He was the four-time assist champ, Two-time steals champ, 12-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA selection, five-time NBA champ, three-time Finals MVP, three-time regular season MVP, and was selected to the All-Rookie team in 1980. The greatest Laker ever checks in at number five all-time. The 6'9 point guard was incredible during his time in the league. He ran the Showtime Lakers to perfection. Up and down the court they went with Irvin Magic Johnson facilitating it all. He was a playmaker who could have scored more. Okay, do I need to mention anything more than the 42-point finals performance when he played center in 1980? He was everything a point guard needed to be, and then some. The charisma that he's so famous for, that he possesses off the courts, was evident in the way that he played. When people talk about magic, they mention how nice he is, and how he makes people feel important, and he played the same way. He was the ultimate connector, who made every player on a star-filled Lakers roster feel important. The second-best point guard ever. Number five, all-time, Magic Johnson. Moving into the final group, Group A. This is Mount Rushmore. 
self-explanatory. This tier consists of the four best basketball players ever. If your list of the top four players does not contain at least three of these four guys I have, then it will be very hard for me to take you seriously. Number four, the one that I'm going to get the most flack for, is Steph Curry. Career per game stats are 29.5 points a game, six rebounds, and six assists. Did you know he was 29-6-6? I sure didn't. With just over one and a half steals a game and .2 blocks a game. He's a two-time scoring champ. The 2015-2016 to steals champ, a nine-time All-Star, nine-time All-NBA selection, four-time NBA champ, the 2021 to 2022 Finals MVP, two-time regular season MVP, and a selection to the 2010 All Rookie Team. I can hear the pushback on Steph Curry. Okay, Jonathan, why do you have a number four? This isn't where he belongs, but it is though. This is where Steph Curry belongs. Steph Curry is the fourth greatest basketball player ever. First off. I already said it. Did you know that his career averages were that great? 29, 6, and 6. Okay, people go on and on about how great LeBron James is for 27, 7, and 7. 29, 6, and 6 is just as good, if not better. Okay, well, what, what about the defense? What about the defense? Let's address the defense. He's not a great defender. Okay, I will surrender that to you, but he's a good one. He's a solid defender. Okay, he stays in front of guards, plays the passing lanes well. Look, here's the truth. When your backcourt partner is Clay Thompson, one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, you're going to be the guard that gets picked on defensively. Okay, Steph Curry is now a transcendent player on offense. He's one of only two players to ever win a championship without a big man as either the best or second best player on his team. The other one is Michael Jordan. That's the only other player to ever do that. Or the second best player on his team was Scottie Pippen. Really just without any legit big man presence because... And you could be like, well, you know, the second best player on LeBron's team was on LeBron's teams were Dwayne Wade. Yeah. LeBron James is also a power forward. And he had Chris Bosch as well. Okay. He's one of two players to only one of one of two players to ever win a championship without a legit inside scoring presence. Okay, he's the only player to win an NBA championship on a jump shooting team. He's the greatest shooter ever. Before Steph Curry and the Warriors showed up. There was this idea that teams couldn't win if they relied too heavily on jump shots. In comes Steph Curry, where they blow that idea out of the water. They say, no, we can do it because we're going to shoot 40% from three and we're going to throw up 43-point shots a game. Good luck stopping us. Good luck outscoring us. Okay. On top of that, Steph Curry is the greatest off-ball presence in the history of the NBA. There is not a player who has the same gravitational pull on the court as he does. There isn't a single player in the history of basketball who has sniffed his ability to shoot the ball. He's the only unanimous MVP selection in the history of the NBA. He's beaten LeBron James in the playoffs three times. Okay, And you can see all the other accolades listed above. He has single-handedly changed basketball, which is being taken into the equation here. Before he won his first championship, people said that jump-shooting teams would never win an NBA championship. Do you remember how much Charles Barkley hated those early Warriors teams? And it wasn't just Charles Barkley. I remember being a kid watching basketball. My dad would tell me the exact same thing. Jump-shooting teams don't win in the playoffs. 
Okay, Curry has altered the future of the NBA more than any other player in NBA history. That, along with all the other accomplishments, deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of greatest basketball players ever. Steph Curry at number four. At number three, I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Averaging a career 24.5 points a game, just over 11 rebounds, just over 3.5 assists, just under one steal and two and a half blocks a game. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a two-time scoring champ, the 1975-76 to rebounding champ, four-time block champ, 19-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA selection, six-time NBA champ, two-time Finals MVP, six-time regular season MVP, and the Rookie of the Year in 1970. He was also an 11-time All-Defensive selection. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was simply outstanding during his time in the association. Scoring is the thing that comes to mind when you talk about Kareem, the skyhook being the main subject. He scored so many points with the most unblockable shot in the history of the NBA. But he was more than just a scorer. He was a great defender as well. Those 11 All-Defensive selections speak for themselves as long as being as well as being the four-time block champ. He won six championships, but only two finals MVPs, which is why I have him at number three, not number two or number one. He did everything and will always be remembered as one of the most consistently great players to ever play basketball. Another guy whose longevity of his career is pretty outstanding. Retired as the number one leader in all-time points scored, passing Wilt. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number three. Number two, LeBron James. As I mentioned earlier, he's at 27.2 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, 7.3 assists, 1.5 steals, and just under a block a game. He was the 2007-2008 scoring champ, the assist champ in 2020, a 19-time All-Star selection, 19-time All-NBA selection, 4-time NBA champ, 4-time Finals MVP, 4-time regular season MVP, the Rookie of the Year in 2004, and a six-time all-defensive selection. Some people won't like that I have LeBron James at two. You know, this is one of those things where you have Michael Jordan at two, LeBron at one. I'm not, I'm not upset at you, so hopefully you're not upset at me. But before I explain my ranking, let me just say that being the second-greatest player ever is not a slight. It's an honor. Okay, when people talk about LeBron, we know what they're going to bring up. We know that they bring up the finals appearances. Both sides, both the people who love him and the people who... Both the people who crown him as number one and both the people who don't. Okay, he's been to 10 finals in his career. And of those 10, he's won four. And this is why I have him at number two. I simply believe that people give him too much credit for second place. Let's look at other sports. If Michael Phelps had 11 gold medals instead of 28, he would not be known as the greatest Olympian ever. For context, 11 is 40% of 28 which is the number of gold medals that Michael Phelps has. Pretty absurd. And then when we look at Tom Brady, right? You know, six six Super Bowl rings. Like, if he only had, you know, two or three, he wouldn't be regarded as the GOAT of football. He wouldn't be. And I just don't think that we should change the standard for basketball, especially when basketball is a sport where, where the stars had the most impact on both sides of the ball. Okay. Well, Jonathan, what about the talents surrounding LeBron James? LeBron played alongside 12 players who either are or will be in the Hall of Fame. 
Okay, LeBron will always be remembered for the longevity of his career. It's been great for 20 years. Okay, and if you have him at the top of your list, I'm not mad at you. I'm not I wouldn't be mad at you. I understand it. I get it. 20 years of greatness. I understand. The bottom line, though, is that people don't play to come in second place. And I really don't like how negative this this part sounds. Okay, because LeBron is truly like he's the second greatest player ever. Like that's incredible. Okay, from the moment he stepped into the NBA, from his rookie season all the way up through year 21, he's been great. It's just impossible to match the resume of who I have at number one, Michael Jordan. Averaging 30 points per game for his career. Six rebounds, five assists, two steals and a block. He's a 10-time scoring champ, three-time steals champ, 14-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA selection, six-time NBA champ, six-time Finals MVP, five-time regular season MVP, the Rookie of the Year in 1985, a nine-time All-Defensive selection, and the 1987-88 Defensive Player of the Year, Michael Jordan. From college on, never lost a championship game. He won the only NCAA championship game he ever played in. He won the gold medal game of every Olympics he played in. And he won six NBA titles in as many appearances. I can hear it now. Bill Russell won 11. Kareem won six. What's the difference? The difference is that neither one of them went undefeated. And neither of them won finals MVP in every single one. Neither one of them averaged 30 points a game in an era where if you scored 90, that was a lot. No one has impacted legacies for the worse, like Michael Jordan did. There are multiple players on this list. You go back, you listen to all the podcasts. There are multiple players on this list who would potentially be ranked higher if they hadn't seen Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals or in the playoffs. Michael Jordan is and always will be regarded as the GOAT, and I know he had some struggles early in, early in his career. I know he got swept by the Boston Celtics, one of the greatest teams ever. Okay, I know he couldn't beat the Detroit Pistons. But everyone has struggles in their career. It happens. Even in the losses, though, he was great. And when he was on the biggest stage, he always delivered. There will never be another player who delivers the way that Michael Jordan did, and that is ultimately why he sits atop my 1% rankings. In conclusion, these are the final 10 of the 44 best basketball players ever. Feel free to go back, listen to the other podcasts. If you want to hear the other three parts, feel free to find me on Twitter at jschmidt underscore four. Let me know the changes you'd make. I'm ready for next year when I'm going to get to add a couple more names to the list, potentially move some players around. I hope you enjoyed listening to these four parts about the top 1% of NBA players ever. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm excited to have somebody on to talk about the full list with me. Can't wait. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to y'all again on Thursday. 